It is a privilege to be with you this morning and to greet you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. The same yesterday and today and forever. And in times of transition it's and change, it's helpful to think about the things that don't change. And Jesus Christ is and will be the same yesterday and today and forever. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, no change, neither shadow of turning. And we can put our trust and confidence in the one who doesn't change. Life is about variables and change. In Christ, in God, we have something that does not change, not even a hint, a shadow of turning. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. We have confidence in the word of God, in the unchangeable word that God has for us. It's been a pleasure to be with you as a congregation and see God's will unfold. I sense a very peaceful and uh, quiet transition. Maybe there's more unrest than I know, but... uh, Truly, it, it seems like uh, a um, very peaceful, smooth transition and passing on of the baton, unlike some of the transitions that we have in the background politically. It's also been a blessing, Dwight and Darla, to, in the past, observe your family and have interaction here at MBS with some of your children, and it was a blessing to sit around your kitchen table, dining room table, yesterday and see your family, and you truly are a blessed man, and I know you know that. But I had to think that the same inner workings of the Spirit that an outward applying of truth and principles that brought your home your family where they are will be effective as you take the oversight of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ here at Prairie. God bless you in that and enable you. The task, I'm sure, seems daunting, overwhelming. You probably feel inadequate, and you probably are thinking there would be others that could do it better. But I do remember a brother sitting on the front bench here saying, we already know that. But God chose you for the work that he has before you. As I was thinking about the message this morning, my thoughts went back almost 2,000 years now to another transition. The transition that the Lord Jesus was in. The, I mean, this was huge compared to what we're going through here. The age of grace to the church age. And some of the things that happened during that transition and the people that were with him, the 12 that he had chosen to be with them and how he passed on the the leadership of his work from himself, his personal presence in the world to those who had been with him and walked with him. And I wondered if we had the privilege of knowing what they would speak into our situation this morning, what they would say. And we know exactly what they would say because we have the record in the word of God. One of those that was with Jesus was the Apostle Peter. You may turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And I think he would say this to you as a congregation this morning. The verses here in 1 Peter 4 are not specific to leadership. They are to a congregational charge. And we include leadership in it as well. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. We live in a day where soberness and watching in prayer is 
essential. The end of all things is at hand. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. You want to make this transition easy and the task that Dwight is assuming easy, follow that verse. Have fervent charity. Charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Do it willingly and cheerfully out of a heart of love. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I like it a lot. As every man hath received the gift, so serve, so minister. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if any man speak, let him speak. As the oracles of God, if any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As you serve, remember that you are serving within the context of the will of God and of his word. When you speak, make sure that you are speaking the words of God as of the ability that God gives. Remember that God specifically entrusted the treasures of the kingdom in vessels of clay so that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then turning to chapter 5 and verse 1, he turns and addresses those who have been given leadership, oversight, elders. Chapter 5, verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. There's a depth behind this charge to the elders that are among us. When you think of the life of the Apostle Peter and all of the things in being with Jesus, the charge that he was given from Jesus, and now... He is passing it on to the elders that were there. And that transition, this is not just about the prairie congregation, but we are participating in a transition that has happened for 2,000 years, one generation to the next. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God. Take the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And then he tells you how to do it. Neither as being lords, but being examples Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. He challenges them to faithfulness to the end. It's not just about today, but it is faithfulness until the chief shepherd appears. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. Wear the garment of humility as you go about serving. Therefore, excuse me, be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The Apostle Paul 
in a couple of places, reminds the minister, the elder, that first of all, take heed to yourself. Take heed unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Take heed unto yourself and to the doctrine. By doing that, you will both save yourselves and those that hear you. First of all, we guard our own lives, our own walk with the Lord, realizing that ministry and responsibility doesn't insulate us from temptation, but as you already know, it puts a target on those who are in those positions. So be sober, be vigilant, keep your guard up. Satan has a roaring lion or is an angel of light. He knows where he can get his foot in the door. <clears throat> Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are accomplished that are in the world. But he closes with this the God of all grace, who hath called you into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Unto him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's a lifetime behind the words that I just read. There's a lifetime of being with Jesus, both in person. There's a lifetime of making missteps and miscues behind what we just read. And I had to think of that time and wanted to draw some encouragement as I, as we examine and go back to this transitionary period in history. When Jesus was with the disciples and then passing on, the baton of leadership to those who he had chosen to be with him. Mark 3.14 says, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. He ordained twelve that they should be with him and he would send them forth to preach. And that was the plan. The transition wasn't just boom, but no, he chose them. They spent three years in intimate conversation and in teaching and in taking in the truth that he was that he was teaching and preaching and living out perfectly he taught basic kingdom principles we don't read much in the gospels about this type of a service how do you practically transfer leadership from Brother Dennis to Brother Dwight. But in the principles that he left out of that, the applications come, the, the working. And, and he was very clear in saying that to the disciples. After he had taught kingdom principles, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a sower who sowed his seed. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. He taught the characteristics, the qualities that would identify kingdom members. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They would be part of the kingdom of heaven through brokenness and humility. And so he taught those basic principles, kingdom principles that would identify kingdom members And then the time came when he asked the question, what are people saying about me? Who do men say that I am? Well, some say Elias, Jeremiah, or the prophets. And then he came to the critical question, but whom say ye that I am? And it was Simon Peter who boldly proclaimed, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' answer was, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. A divine revelation to Peter, the foundation of the church. 
And then he looked at Peter and said, And I say also unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, or in the Greek, thou art Petros, and on this Petra, we lose the play on words in the translation, but you're Petros, a little piece. Thou art Peter, and upon this Petra, the big rock, I will build my church. The rock, the confession that he just made, the sure foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. The first time that he mentioned the church in this transition, passing on the responsibilities to the apostles, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I will entrust to your care these basic kingdom principles that identify how kingdom members relate to each other and how they relate to those that hate them and persecute them. I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Basic kingdom principles identify kingdom members and entrusting it to the apostles, the twelve that were with him. And then... At the end of his ministry, crucifixion, the work was done, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. He gave them that commission. I'd already entrusted the keys of the kingdom to them. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. We are not omnipotent in our power, but we have all of that power at our fingertips through prayer. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then the commission, the charge that is given, go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I am with you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What a powerful send-off. All power is given unto me. The charge and then my presence will go with you. I marvel at the beauty of the plan, the incarnation, Jesus coming into the world, teaching kingdom principles, perfectly exemplifying them as he taught. Man was able to see God in a way that he had never seen him before. The Old Testament writers talked much about the attributes of God. In fact, if we wouldn't have the Old Testament, we wouldn't have the clear picture that we do of God's omniscience, his omnipotence. Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Now understand it's my thoughts afar off, my words before I even formed them. You've set, beset me behind and before and laid your hand on me. And when the psalmist thinks of the almighty presence and power of God and his omniscience in his life, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain unto it. It is high. I cannot attain. The incarnation brought God to man in human form, and we saw attributes in God that were never possible with God. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so Jesus coming into the world, Emmanuel, God with us, we were able to see God relating as we do, and responding, giving us the perfect responses. As Jesus taught kingdom principles, he exemplified them in his life. 
when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He exemplified humility. He was emptied of himself. No reputation took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Blessed are the poor in spirit, emptied of self, so that the power of God may work in me. A man of despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He had the attribute of sorrow and grief. And I mentioned Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And so he was able to say, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He hath borne our griefs and our sorrows. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The quality of meekness. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. As a man, he got hungry just like we did. On the cross, he said, I thirst. And he used human hunger and thirst to make a spiritual point. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The qualities of Jesus seen in his human form in the incarnation that we never would see God in heaven. Weariness. There were times when he was weary in the flesh and needed to rest. Suffering. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And maybe most dramatic of all, he became temptable. And I'm not sure that that's even an English word. But the ability to be tempted. He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so those are the characteristics, the basic kingdom principles that he entrusted to those who heard, specifically then to the apostles in thinking of establishing the church and going forth and applying those principles after Jesus left. And we too, the fruit of the Spirit, the when we come to Christ, experience the new birth, crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ now liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so the inner dwelling of Christ through his spirit produces the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, that parallel the teachings of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 in the Beatitudes. A beautiful picture of Enablement, empowerment for kingdom work. The role of the apostles was a unique place in that transition. Jesus didn't give specifics on how to establish the church. He said, I will build my church. But he gave the work and the responsibility to the twelve and then the apostle Paul. And they went forward, applied kingdom principles expressed in local bodies of Christ. The church, the fullness of the Lord Jesus, the fullness of his body in the world. Starting at Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and finally to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's easy to get off of the bus between the teachings of the Lord Jesus on the kingdom and the church age. They are not synonymous. All 
Christian churches are part of the kingdom of heaven. We do not know the limits and the bounds of the kingdom of heaven. But kingdom membership is always expressed in the local body of Christ, the body of believers. It's not, we heard last evening, an individualistic thing, but rather within his body, the expression of the Lord Jesus in the world today. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom principles always expressed in the local body of Christ. And that is where the perfection of the saints happen. The work of the ministry is to bring everyone, every believer to perfection. The Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 1, speaking of his ministry that was entrusted to him. Where have I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints. And this mystery was the breaking down of the wall between the Gentiles and the kingdom. The mystery was now revealed, which is Christ in you, you Gentiles, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That is the goal and the work of the Lord Jesus in the work in the world today. To present each one of you individually perfect in Christ. But perfection happens within the body of Christ as the gifts come together. None of us have all of the gifts, and everyone has a gift, a contribution to make. We heard that last evening. The gifts come together in the body of Christ for the perfection of the saints, the individual perfection, the, that every man, we may present every man perfect for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith, unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that is the collective, the corporate perfection that we heard about last evening. Peter... had um, an interesting relationship with Jesus. We know his, his failures, his denial. And Jesus took the opportunity in John chapter 21 after his resurrection, the Sea of Galilee, and the had fish on the shore. And he came to Peter and asked him, Lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, Well, yes, I love you more than these. And Jesus' answer was, Feed my sheep. And then he asked the second time, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I imagine the frustration was building just a little bit. Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. And then he came the third time. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? You know all things. You know that I love you. Why? Feed my sheep. I think he wanted to emphasize the point, the transition the responsibility that would be his in feeding the flock. Jesus had taught the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He taught shepherding and my sheep know me and I know my sheep. That's shepherding. And now he's saying, it's your responsibility to feed the sheep. The first time when he asked the question and said, feed my sheep, he used a word, Greek word, Bosco, that simply means 
Give food. Give the, the food, the teaching. The second time when he said, feed my lambs, the feed is the shepherding term that encompasses the care of the sheep otherwise. And then the third time he came back again and said, feed. And so that transition from Jesus to Peter, and particularly here on the Sea of Galilee, is the background to Peter coming in and saying, the elders which are among you, I beseech you, I am also an elder, and now I'm passing on. Feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. And he used the same word that Jesus used with him that second time, the shepherding term, feed my sheep. Feed the flock, taking the oversight. few other thoughts from the words that Peter left, and I already somewhat emphasized the first one. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. And he uses the plural. Clearly it's within the context of brotherhood, of the church. Your charge is given to you not It is an individual responsibility, but it is within the context of brotherhood. It's within the context of a plural ministry. And it's within the context of the kingdom of heaven. And so remember that it's not just about the responsibilities that have been given to Dwight, but it is about within the context of the church and the team ministry. And what a blessing it is to serve on a team that spreads out the responsibilities. I don't have to be responsible for all of the functions of the church. I can delegate, and I I do. I just recently... My younger ministers are so much better at organizing and keeping things together. Why don't you put together the ministerial preaching schedule? You can do that as well as I can. I don't have to worry about coming to communion and wondering where the, who's going to bring the bread and the cup. Spreads out responsibilities. Spreads out the impact of decisions. It's not just my decision, but it's a ministry decision. There will be times when viewpoints are different on the ministerial team. But then when it's presented to the congregation, it's not my decision. It is a ministry decision. Spreads out the responsibilities. Although there is the aspect that the overseer becomes the face of those decisions and is willing to bear the responsibility that goes with that. It makes ministry team makes succession a lot less disruptive. You only replace one member on the team and not the entire team. It creates an accountability when you work with others, and we need that accountability. I need that accountability over and over again. When I make a misstep, I need my brothers on the team to step up and say, this should have been maybe handled differently. Did you really mean to say what you said? And a willingness to accept responsibility for those missteps. Peter understood the need for accountability. Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. He was free to associate with the Gentiles until others came from Jerusalem, and then he dissociated himself. And I withstood him to the face. Peter must have taken that 
confrontation well, because at the end of his letter, he said, my beloved, our beloved brother Paul, and he commends him for the things that he said. We need that accountability. Ministerial teams and a team approach, and in this I'm also including brotherhood and the whole church in it. It brings a balanced perspective to issues. We need those who are black and white and say, let's deal with this now and take care of it, done and go on. And we need those who are able to step back and say, well, wait a minute, let's give it a little bit of time and let it cool off. Remember that when you get mud on your clothes, it comes off a lot easier if you let it dry than if you try to deal with it right away. Brings a balanced perspective to issues. Brings a balance to preaching. Each of us has our own style and approach. And we're all responsible to preach the whole counsel of God. But on a ministry team, it's much easier to get the full balance and impact of the whole counsel of God. It brings generational balance. We always want our preachers to have the energy and enthusiasm of a 20-year-old and the wisdom of a 60-year-old. And on a ministry team, you can have that generational balance as they come together. So I think that's part of what Peter is saying here when he says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Understand that you are functioning within the body of Christ and within a ministerial team. No one has everything. Everyone has something. No one has everything. Everyone has something. That was a phrase that my children heard over and over again as they were growing up. We all know people who seem to have everything, you know, not only are they talented in sports and in academics and appearance, and they have all of the things that men value highly. And not only that, they have the perfect balance between ability and humility. And we lament and wonder how unfair life could be. But no, you have been given exactly what God meant for you to have to carry out the work that he's given you to do. No one has everyone, everything, everyone has something. You need the input of others in your life, and you have something that other need, others need that you can contribute. I think Peter would want to say, emphasize the idea of servant leadership. As you have received the gift, so minister, so serve that gift in a servant capacity. And I noticed in Joshua chapter 1, the first part of the chapter, Moses, the servant of the Lord, was dead. Moses, my servant, was God's summary of the life of Moses. He had done, he'd been a great leader and done all these marvelous works among the people of God, and that was a summary of his life. Moses, my servant. I think Peter would want us to know that. In fact, in Second Peter Chapter 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle, first a servant. Don't be like the Gentiles, who those who are chief and Lord, they put over them. But he that is servant will be your, your minister. Serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter knew intimately the need for the manifold grace of God, the abundant grace of God that is able to reach out and meet every need and every situation.
He knew it from his own life personally. We mentioned the account where Jesus asked them who he was. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then when Jesus, just in the next verses, explains why he is entrusting the keys to the kingdom, because I am going to Jerusalem to be crucified and to rise again. And Peter said, rebuked him, no, you don't go there. Get thee behind me, Satan, because you're an offense. He needed the grace of God. He was bold in asking Jesus to call him out on the water in the storm. And he walked out, stepped out, and walked on water. And then he looked around fearful and, Lord, save me, I perish, sinking in fear, the grace of God. Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And then just hours later, no, I don't know the man. No, I don't know the man. The manifold grace of God. Thou shalt never wash my feet. Well, if I wash thee not, you have no part with me. Well, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. The manifold grace of God. Bringing salvation to the Gentiles. God used Peter to go to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, to demonstrate that the gospel is for all people. And he went and preached powerfully, baptized them, saw the Holy Spirit coming on them and the gifts of the Spirit. And then just a few years later, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. The manifold Grace of God. Being chosen to go up the Mount of Olives with Jesus, Jesus transfigured before them. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. He was of the opinion that if you don't know what to say, you keep talking until you come to something that is worthy of saying. The other approach is never break, speak to break the silence unless you can improve on the silence. The manifold grace of God. And we mentioned, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee three times. And he emphasized and was frustrated and feed my sheep. What will this man do? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. The manifold grace of God. Good stewards, as you have received the gift, as you have been a recipient, as you are a child of grace, so minister the same to those that you minister to. Jesus, just before he went to the cross, just before he went up to Jerusalem, he gave this parable in Luke chapter 19. And Matthew chapter 25, for the apostles specifically to understand what they had been entrusted with. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered unto them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy until I come. Use what I have entrusted to your care until I come. With the expectation that you would increase what you have been given. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling in a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He delivered unto them his goods. One he gave five talents, another two, and to another one, to every man, according to his several ability, and then he took his journey. And they were accountable for the goods that had been entrusted to their care. You, Brother Dwight, have been given a package of goods. Each one of you sitting here has been given a package of goods to be used in the kingdom. Occupy until I come. Use them for the glory of the kingdom. They're not your goods. You're stewards of the manifold grace of God. Stewards of the gifts 
that he has given you. The goods are sovereignly given. We can't necessarily choose our package, but we can choose to use what God has given us. It's not what you've been. It's not what you've been given. It's how you choose to use and occupy yourself that determines whether you give back more at the end than you receive. It's not yours, but loaned to you as a steward, stewards of the manifold grace, stewards of the gift, not for your gain, but for the master's gain. It is uniquely you and exactly what God intended for you. Part of occupying is being content with the package that God has given me, taking it up willingly, not by constraint. Peter would like for us to go forward as stewards of the manifold grace of God and the gifts that he has given us. Feed the flock, take the oversight, not as lords, but as examples. Let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example. And you are still a youth, by the way. Be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in maturity, you're well beyond youth. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example. The husbandman who labors must first be partaker of the fruit. You should be the first one to show the evidence of the fruit of the word as it is part of you. And I already mentioned guarding your own life. Make sure that you take heed into yourself. And finally, persevere until the end. He says in First Peter chapter 5, The elders which are among you, I exhort him also an elder and a witness of the sufferings in Christ, also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, not taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, and not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall appear. Be faithful to the end. Faithfulness is simply the exercising of faith over time, simply taking the responsibilities that you've been given today and faithfully executing them. That is the preparation that you will have for the challenges of tomorrow. One day at a time, God gives us the time in little increments. The story is told of a young man who ended up in the emergency room and finally in a full body cast after an accident. And at his first opportunity, he asked his doctor, how long am I going to need to be in this cast? And the wise doctor said, only one day at a time. And that is the beauty of time. Small increments. God always will give you sufficient time to complete his will. You ever get to the end of the day and said, well, I just didn't have time. Well, I went beyond what the will of God was for me. That's true in a day-to-day basis. And it's true in a lifetime. God will give you sufficient time to complete his will. God also gives sufficient grace. My grace is sufficient for thee. As the burdens grow greater, the grace will match the burdens. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. 
Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Finally, I leave you with the benediction that Peter left with you, with us. First Peter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, the God of all grace, the manifold grace of God, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Unto him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Lord bless you as you take the gift and administer the things that he has given. Let's kneel in prayer. Eternal Father in heaven, we come in your presence this morning. We do thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and his example in serving and in ministry and exemplifying kingdom principles and kingdom characteristics. And Father, we long to be shaped and molded into that likeness, into his image. I pray, Father, that you would bless this congregation abundantly. As they go from here, I pray that you would work in each of their lives, that your grace would be real, and that they would be stewards of the grace that you bless them with. I pray a special blessing on Brother Dwight, Sister Darla. I pray that they would go in your power and your strength. I pray that you would take away Satan's discouragements, and attacks. I pray that you would help him to be strong in you, to take on the whole armor of God, that he may be able to withstand the attacks that may come. I pray, Father, that you would guide this congregation, guide us in life, continue to show us your will, shape us and mold us into the people you want us to be. And prepare us for the time when the chief shepherd shall appear. I pray, God, that you would bless and help us to be a blessing as we can go from here. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.